Many new parents struggle after the birth of a child. It impacts how you feel, your identity, your relationship, and your sex life. 20% of new parents have postpartum anxiety or depression. That's a huge number. And this includes both biological and adoptive moms and dads. One of our listeners asked if I could speak about this topic, so I reached out to a colleague who specializes in postpartum anxiety and depression. Join us today as we unpack typical responses after a birth and explore how to know if we need help and then how to get it. Hi there, I'm your host, Dr. Heather England, an executive coach, psychotherapist, and relationship expert. Welcome to the Great Sex Podcast, where we dive deep into the world of relationships, whether that's your relationship with yourself, the people who matter most to you, or your relationship with your sexuality. I'm so excited about today's episode, so let's dive right in. I am so excited to have my colleague and friend, Michelle Tangeman, with me today to talk all about postpartum anxiety and depression and really what it's like after you have a baby in your home as a new mom. And I think this is an important topic, not just for women and not just for women who have just had babies, but women who might have daughters that have babies, but also for husbands too, that, so that they can really understand the experience you know, that their partner is going through. So let me give you a little information about Michelle. Michelle is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's board certified behavioral analyst. She has a private practice in the Los Angeles area, and she owns a business called Thriving Toddler, which helps parents to really be better at parenting their toddlers and their young children. She's also the co-host of a podcast called Parenting Understood, which just hit over 50,000 downloads, which is really pretty awesome for a podcast. So kudos to you, Michelle. That's great. Michelle has expertise in postpartum anxiety, depression, and she is a parenting rock star. So <laughs> I am so excited to have her here today. I think she's the perfect person to help us wade through this topic. So welcome, Michelle. Oh, Heather, thank you so much for having us or having me. And thank you for that beautiful introduction. <laughs> well, it's heartfelt. I have the highest of respect for you, uh, not just as a therapist, but as a business person too. Oh, and as a mom, because I've seen the things oh. you do to raise your children. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's quite the journey, isn't it? You, I know that you were there. Right there yes. with me. <laughs> it is quite the journey. And I think this is such an important topic because, gosh, you know, we have babies and everything changes in our life, you know, and, and mm -hmm. for the good, you know, it's really exciting. But, you know, things impact our relationship, not always in positive ways. We're tired. Mm -hmm. You know, we just, our bodies don't feel right at first. We've got this new human that relies on us 100% and our hormones are all over the place. So it's really quite a period of adjustment for people. And some people can get through it pretty smoothly and some people have more of a challenge with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that 
you know, nothing can really, really prepare you. I think you some most women have an idea or they have an ideology that they're kind of holding on to, but nothing truly prepares you for the monumental change ahead and until you're there, until you're living it, until you're in the moment. And then you're like, okay, so this is where I'm at. What what do I do with all of these feelings and the rapid change in hormones? Um, and that can be really challenging. And and all the women I see in my private practice that I'm supporting through most postpartum mood, um, we're talking about these common topics that come up for for most women. Right, right. So I think it's really important to talk about what is pretty typical that happens yeah. after people have a baby, how they feel, yeah. what happens inside their body, how they feel yeah. about their partner, what happens to their sexual desire. And then, you know, what, how do you know you need help, right? How do you yeah. know you're really yeah. getting into this danger zone of depression or anxiety? Yeah. And of course, I always want to start with, you know, you know, we have these general class of symptoms, right, that you can experience, but they vary from person to person. Mm -hmm. So, you know, early in, in the postpartum years, you people, moms and people have heard about um, the baby blues and the baby blues are very common. Um, and then the symptoms are very similar, if not exactly the same as postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And really the, the clearest difference is duration of symptoms. And mm. so baby blues, um, you know, you can have the sad mood, maybe the irritability. Of course, most moms are trying to figure out breastfeeding or they've decided they're not going to. Um, you know, they may have experienced tremendous guilt, excessive worry and fear, um, mm -hmm. social withdrawal naturally because you mm. have to be home with the baby uh, due to maybe vaccines or illnesses or or whatever it may be. Um, and so there's just natural isolation, um, yeah. changes in appetite and sleep. And so those are true for and universal for most women. Mm -hmm. But the difference between the blues and actual having a diagnosis is the persistence, the impairment on your life mm -hmm. and what it prevents you from doing and the duration of your symptoms. So the postpartum period really starts at conception from a medical model, uh, hmm. conception to one year of life. And I know that, you know, in this wow. world, people would, um, professionals would say, would even argue up until age six. Like I've spoken to midwives and lactation consultants and in my discussions with them, you know, beyond the medical model and their experience, you know, they're saying like, really this, this whole postpartum period really kind of, you kind of come out of it when your kids are much more independent. And that makes sense from a developmental perspective, your kids mm -hmm. are six and they're kind of doing a lot more. They have a lot of skills, but up until then they're, they're heavily dependent on their caregivers. Right. And gosh, that could be a really long period, especially if you have multiple children. Right, right, right. Abs absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the biggest thing to think about is in terms of the hormonal changes. Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think I read this on Postpartum Support International, which is a really great resource for um, anybody supporting a postpartum mom. There's tons and tons and tons of, of supports um, and information on that website. 
but I had read it's one of the only times in human history where there, there will be an excessive amount of hormonal fluctuation. Hmm. And so that's what's happening right after you deliver your baby mm -hmm. and for this period of time. And so it's really paying close attention. Um, I want to talk just kind of briefly about risk factors, because I think that's something you can kind of prepare for as a mom if you're currently pregnant or expecting. Um, and I think taking a look at your personal and family history, you know, having those conversations mm -hmm. with family members, what was it like for you? Um, maybe they didn't know it was called postpartum depression or anxiety at the, at that time, but maybe they had a lot of those symptoms. Yeah, but what a great idea because most people wouldn't think to ask those questions. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you want to think of it as a like a happy, joyful time, and it is right. Absolutely, it is. But for those moms that maybe want to prepare a little bit more, and you're like, mm -hmm. I am kind of concerned about this. I'm thinking about it more. Having those conversations especially with the women in your family, I think are really important. Also yeah. equally important having those conversations with the men in terms of their involvement during that time as well. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Um, risk factor also includes lack of support. You know, so kind of thinking about what does support look like for you in those early postpartum days, yeah. weeks and months? Um, yeah, you and know, that women can be... that have... Sorry, that can be so hard. I remember we moved out to Kansas City and I had my first child and we had no family in the area. And like we mm -hmm. literally moved here and I had a baby three weeks later. So mm -hmm. I didn't know anybody. When I would go to the grocery store, I think I would talk the, the cashier's head off because I was just craving some kind of connection with somebody. And I felt so isolated and it was just such a difficult time. And I just felt yeah. I was always alone with this child that just cried all the time, all the time. Yeah, right. And, and I think the most concerning part in this period is that you think it's never going to get better mm -hmm. because in your mind, you have no idea what to expect. This is, especially if you're a new mom, mm -hmm. um, you have no idea, like, when is it going to change? When is this going to get better? Right. Like, where's the light at the end of the tunnel? tunnel? And that can really exacerbate your symptoms. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, breastfeeding is, can be really hard for a lot of people. And mm -hmm. I know I struggled with breastfeeding and I got no support from my mom at the time because that wasn't what she did in her generation. Mm -hmm. And so she kept telling me, oh, just do formula. But it was so hard to get the baby to breastfeed. And I, I didn't even know where to go for help. You know, it yeah, was just a really, it was a hard time. Yeah. I mean, and, and the support that they have today, um, there's a lot more support. I also struggled with breastfeeding and I think I would say 90% of the women that I see struggle with breastfeeding. Mm. Uh, wow. That's because a big I percentage. It, it's it, yeah. And, and, and I think what I often hear from them is that I feel like it should come naturally. This is what my body was made to do. Yes. Why am I failing at this? Why can't, yes. why is this so hard? Like, isn't, don't, don't they just know how to do it? Um, and I think those thoughts, those thoughts often come up and then the guilt settles in that it's oh. just not going as planned and something totally. is wrong with and me. I am defective. Yes. What's wrong with me? I'm defective. What, am I just going to be a bad mother? Exactly. And, you know, every image we see of young mothers, it's, you know, 
it's beautiful. It's idealized. And so when you're in that place and it's hard, you do, you, mm-hmm. you think, why can't I do this? What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And that's a hard place and to then- be, especially when your <laughs> hormones are going all over the place. Right. And especially if you are determined, right? Like it's determination is a beautiful thing, right? Because it's going to help you problem solve. You're going to come up with different solutions. But at a certain point, I tell moms, like if it is impeding on your ability to function and it becomes all consuming, it's time to consider, just consider, don't make a decision. It's time to consider alternatives, knowing that you gave it your all. Um, I saw a mom who she delivered her baby. She had hypertension, needed to have surgery. Um, and so she was separated from her baby mm-hmm. and, and the, and then there was a, there because of her health and her condition, she was separated for about a week. Oh, um, my and so the baby was fed by dad through, right. you know, the bottle and it's a, this mm-hmm. beautiful bonding experience between child and dad, which is wonderful. But what made it challenging is they missed all that time and having her come back to it was really challenging, but she was determined and she tried and tried and tried for months. And eventually it was like, I have to accept that this is not going to happen for Mm -hmm. me with this baby. And I have to be okay with that for my mental health. Wow. And that's where you want to make that decision. And that's a hard decision to to get to. And she needed that with the support of her team. You know, she was fortunate enough to have a team supporting her to help her get to that that point. Hmm. All right. So we said risk factors, family history, yep. lack of support. Um, so for women that were taking medication, when they stopped taking medication, that's obviously a risk factor. Hmm. Uh, history of domestic violence and abuse hmm. is a risk factor. Um, and then history of pregnancy loss. Ah. So those are the risk factors to look at look for that might contribute or increase the likelihood that you may experience postpartum, um, a postpartum mood disorder. Okay. Okay. That's great. I love how you line that out. So let's Mm -hmm. look at, you know, you gave, um, information on what to look for that takes you from Mm -hmm. what's typical to what then could be a problem. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you said duration. So duration. Yep. So like beyond that two weeks, if you're experiencing the sad mood, the irritability, lack of joy and pleasure, um, not looking forward to the future, feeling extensive amount of guilt over everything, um, excessive worry and fear, social withdrawal, um, and appetite and sleep disturbances are the major ones. So if you're experiencing that for long periods of time, um, your, your mental health is certainly going to take a hit and it's time to get additional support. Okay. So two weeks. Yep. Wow. So how... I know it's not a lot of time. No, it's not. That's what I'm sitting here thinking. And I'm thinking how many women actually are diagnosed versus how many women probably have postpartum anxiety or depression and just don't know. So according to Postpartum Support International, one in five moms experiences a PMAD. A PMAD is um, any kind of postpartum or even perinatal period, you can experience these symptoms um, of depression and anxiety. So one in five moms, that's one in five moms and one in 10 dads. 
And the biggest risk, risk factor for dads is if the mom is experiencing postpartum mood. Well, I love that you brought up that this can impact fathers too. Correct. And it's not just parents that give birth to children. These are also parents that have adopted babies. Mm -hmm. um, so that is also factored in. Those numbers are factored in there. That is, that's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. So how many people actually get help of that 20%? Yeah. You know, how it's, many yeah, realize that, they I, have a it, problem? You know, that's Probably. a great question. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know the actual numbers to that. I'm sure the numbers are out there somewhere. Um, but I think the biggest reason is that moms don't get help is that they think they think that it's eventually it's 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 just them like it's it's mm -hmm. it's gonna eventually go away but it never really does it just kind of get gets worse mm. so what happens when it gets worse when you really start to see impairment in your life um meaning where you're further into social withdrawal Right. Mm -hmm. So like you get to a point where maybe your child has had or your baby has had their first vaccine and you can venture out. That's typically around the two month mark in the United States. Um, and so they've had their first vaccine. It's time to venture out. Or maybe you run on the anxious side and you're not willing to relinquish the baby, meaning like mm -hmm. give it, give like pass the baby off to a loving mother-in-law, mother, husband. Um I find that that's probably the biggest symptom or like red flag that I'm looking for is if you are kind of this idea of gatekeeping. I am in control of everything and I cannot relinquish that control. Uh, therefore, I can't get enough sleep. I cannot socialize. I cannot do these things that creates that what we call impairment. And when there's impairment, then that is a problem. So if I'm a mother or a mother-in-law, or even a partner, and I think that my family member, my loved one, is suffering mm -hmm. from this, I'm sitting here thinking, how do I broach this in mm -hmm. the kindest way that's going to be the most encouraging way for them to get help? I would think yeah. validating would be really, really important in that process, because I have to think that many of these people are filled with almost shame. Mm-hmm. Right. And, yeah, and absolutely. T talking about how difficult it is, mm -hmm. you know, providing supportive statements, validating their experience, letting them know they're not alone, you know, like kind of being inquisitive and being curious and is, you know, do you want to go, you know, take a nap? Um, I'm happy to, you know, sit on the floor with the baby. Mm -hmm. Um you know, does that sound appealing to you rather than, you know, sometimes depending on family and culture and context, it's go take, like, you should be sleeping. And like, right off the get, right off the bat, when you, that statement comes out, like that should statement, then that's not going to go over very well. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's not going to be well received. Um, it's saying, you know, you seem tired. Are you tired? Um, can I help you? And sometimes not even like taking the open-ended question route is hard because the mom doesn't know what she needs. And yeah. so just saying, I, I am here. Can I take the baby for you? Can I wash your dishes for you? Mm -hmm. Can I make that meal for you? 
I love that idea because so often when we want to help, if we ask the person how we can help them, one, like you mm -hmm. said, they don't often know, but it puts a burden on them to tell mm -hmm. you what they need and to like figure that out. But then they're asking you then to do something for them. And for many people, that's really difficult to do. And I've Absolutely. often heard even even in times of sickness or grief, the best thing to do is really just to do something and just say, yeah. hey, I want to help you. I'd love to do your laundry. I made you a meal. Yeah. You know, I want to yeah. watch your other children. Can I take them out to the park? Right. Absolutely. Providing those options goes a really long way. This is not, this example is not necessarily related to, um, postpartum mood, but I was, we were traveling as a family in, in the woods and like, it's very remote and we've got three little kids. I've got a three-year-old, six-year-old. My sister-in-law's got a three-year-old. Um, and her son was having a hard time adjusting and he was having just a lot of like typical three-year-old tantrums and getting up several times a night. And it was just, it was just her mom, his mom coming in and doing all of the support mm -hmm. because he really, it's mom, 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 mom. And, and he, the, the three-year-old doesn't want anybody else but his mom. But after typical day three, three of this. Right. Typical three-year-old. But after three days of this persistent behavior and constantly getting up and interrupting the sleep, what does that do to right. that caregiver? It just yeah. completely depletes them. Her right. back was riddled with knots. She wasn't sleeping, mm. but she's like doing an excellent job. And I just said, you know what? She was trying to sleep. Everybody's trying to sleep. Her son is up. He's tantruming because all he wants to do is be with mommy. And I said, you know what? I'm going to get up. I don't need to sleep. I feel rested. I know she needs to sleep. I'm going to take him and I'm going to go walk with him in the woods. And so that's just an example of saying like, if you're a support person, just stepping in and saying, I will take care of this. Right. But you have, the mom has to be willing to accept it. And that's the hardest part sometimes is saying like, okay, I will accept the help. Because it's, I am the mom, I have to take care of it. It's me, me, me. Mm -hmm. um, some women are better about letting go, others are not. But if you find yourself in this kind of depressed mood or anxious mood, then it's saying, where can I get more support? Where can I kind of let go here? And sometimes that's a very gradual process and that's mm -hmm. okay. So then how does someone know if they then need to seek counseling? Like if they need even further support than what their friends and family can do for them? Right. So if your friends and family have intervened and it still doesn't feel like it's getting any better, then mm -hmm. it's probably time to seek the help of a professional and kind of look very closely at the thoughts that are coming up mm -hmm. um, for you and that person. Mm -hmm. Um or that person that's experiencing the mood disturbance. So usually there's a lot of information in our thoughts, right? Because our thoughts right. impact our feelings, impact our behavior. Um, and so that's where you have a safe space to kind of explore and talk about what are the small steps I can take. Um, and then usually, usually with, the, with um, psychotherapy and intervention, there's two primary approaches that are treatment of choice, and that's cognitive behavioral therapy and interpersonal therapy. I like to do CBT. Um, I know you do too. Um, 
But with that approach, usually I see symptom reduction with mild to moderate. When we're talking about severe depression, then usually it's so severe it needs kind of inpatient, like outpatient support that's individual group multiple times a week. But with mild to moderate symptoms, usually I see symptom reduction anywhere between session six and session eight. Wow, that's so wonderful. Yeah. It's really, really, it, it, it's, it's really helpful to kind of step back, take a big picture. Where can we fill in the gaps? And then what are the thoughts that are coming up for you mm -hmm. during this period of, in your life? So could you give an example of what might be a thought that is causing problems and then how you would use CBT to challenge the thought and replace it? Yeah, absolutely. So let's use this breastfeeding example. I should be able to breastfeed comes up very often. Mm -hmm. And so it's working through this idea of, okay, what, what's the thought that comes up? Okay. And what's the, can you pinpoint the thought that's really driving the emotion from you? That's maybe bringing tears to your face. And then can you kind of give it a number? How severe does that, does that symptom feel for you or that feeling feel for you? Is it a hundred percent? Is it more like a 50%? Is it 20% in that particular context? Context isn't very important. And then moving beyond that, it's talking about, Okay, so what are some alternative thoughts that will challenge that you should be able to breastfeed? Well, breastfeeding doesn't necessarily come easy, actually, per the data, and that depending on the child's mouth, right, and their mm -hmm. tongue, could something be going on with that? The latch, there are so many variables and factors to consider. Um, was the baby premature? That could play mm -hmm. into it. So what are some alternative, realistic um, ideas that are coming up and whatever lands for them? I, usually I have the, the client take a stab at it first, right? Mm -hmm. And then if that doesn't go well, needs a little bit of guidance. And I say, what about this? What about this? With the examples I just gave. And then the mom will be like, okay, yes, uh, not so much for me. And then we put the two statements together that I should be able to breastfeed I feel like I need to be able to breastfeed, but, and then talk about these alternative ideas. And then we rate the emotion again. What emotion is coming up for you or what feeling is coming up for you and about what percentage now after we've gone through this exercise. And that exercise alone, doing it over and over and over again, you know, really helps in bringing down the mood. Yeah. Or bringing up the mood, actually, right. I should say. Ch like, changing you're feeling the feeling. Better. Changing the feeling, Correct. right. Correct. Well, and that makes sense because it took a while for them to feel this way and to get those thoughts yeah. ingrained. So it's going right. to take a little while to undo that. So I know we're running out of time and I need to get us wrapped up here. Um, I just have one last question. So if somebody mm -hmm. really is sitting here listening to this and thinking, oh, I need help, or I have a loved one that needs help, how do they find a therapist that is competent yeah. to do this type of work? Because yeah. I don't think every yeah. therapist knows how to do this. Sure, absolutely. I think, and I mentioned before, there are two primary, you know, clinicians with a treatment of choice. Um, you want to find a therapist that is, you know, skilled at cognitive behavioral therapy, 
They actually now, Postpartum Support International actually provides a two-day intensive training where you wow. can get extra certification. It's called a PMH-C. And so if you find a therapist that also has those letters, um, they've it says they've taken the exam. They've taken the training, they've taken the exam, and they specialize in that type of psychotherapy. So that's a great indicator. Somebody like me, I've taken the training. I didn't take the time to take the exam. Mm -hmm. So I have the training. I'm right. competent in delivering the therapy. Um, but um, so you I can also go to... Po if they read an about page on a therapist or just read their bio, their yeah. profile, yeah. it's going to call mm -hmm. out their expertise in that area. Right. And I'm hearing you say, make sure they've been trained. Make sure they've gotten yeah, some kind of make training. Sure they've Absolutely. Not just absolutely. read a book. <laughs> right, right. Right. Absolutely. Get that extra training is really helpful. And you, there is a directory that of, of clinicians that have been gone through the training or have the credential at Postpartum Support International. Um, there are also lots of other resources. That's just kind of my go-to. Um, and then for, you know, loved ones, that are supporting a new mom. There's a great book called Beyond Blues, Understanding and Treating Perinatal and Postpartum Depression and Anxiety. This is great for clinicians, but it's also just great for um, anybody that's supporting um, a postpartum parent. So I also recommend that book. Oh, that's fabulous. Well, I'm going to put in the show notes links to all of the references that you mentioned, the book, um, Postpartum Support International. I'll include links to find Michelle, um, to Thriving Toddler, because that is a great resource to check out. And I'd also encourage you to listen to her podcast. So I will include a link to your podcast. I so appreciate you doing this today, Michelle. I said in the intro, um, which you didn't get to hear me say this because I recorded it before we got together, but I actually had a listener ask for us to talk mm -hmm. about this subject. And I just think it's, it's so important because we don't mm -hmm. want to minimize ourselves for just having baby blues because it's real. Mm -hmm. It is real. It yeah. really is. One in five moms. Remember that. One, one in, in five. five That's a moms. huge number. Wow. So it's if you're one number. of those one in five, please don't feel like you're alone. You're in really good mm -hmm. company. So mm -hmm. thanks again, Michelle. I really appreciate it. It was great having you on as a guest. Thank you, Heather, for having me. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. If you know someone who would benefit from today's episode, please share it with them. And until next time, my wish for you is to create opportunities to nurture your self-esteem and your love and friendship with your partner, along with adding an extra spark to your sex life. I'll see you next week. Take care.